Peace and blessings upon you. Today, one of the most widely recognized celebrities in the world is Johnny Depp. So if I show you a drawing of Johnny Depp, you would probably be able to recognize him. Now, if I put the drawing next to an actual photo of Johnny Depp and asked you which one is the real Johnny Depp, you'd probably pick the photo. And if instead of a photo, I show you a video, an HD video interview with Johnny Depp and ask you which one is the most real version of Johnny Depp, you'd probably go with the video. But what if I offer you the chance to physically meet Johnny Depp and spend an hour talking with him about whatever you want out of these options, which you would consider to be the most real? I think you would unanimously agree to be able to sit down and talk to Johnny Depp for an hour is more real than an HD video of Johnny Depp, which is more real than a photo of Johnny Depp, which is more real than the drawing of Johnny Depp. But what exactly makes one more real than the other? The simple answer is that the version that is more real will have more resolution and more depth than the less real version. So we say that the drawing has less resolution than the photo, which has less resolution than the video, which has less resolution than the real thing. Meaning if I take a drawing, there's only so much resolution I can obtain before I just get blurry lines. And it gets more so with the photo where I can go in and zoom in deeper versus an HD video where I'm able to see different perspectives compared to meeting the person in real life. So we can say that each level is giving us more reality to the real thing. Well, there's another dimension to this analogy. Johnny Depp is one of the world's greatest actors. And yeah, you could sit down for an hour and you can have an interview with him, but how do you know you're actually getting factual information? You're seeing who the real person is. So even though you're able to spend an hour with him and ask him any question that you wanted to, he might have given you answers that were not based on reality. So even though you went from low resolution to high resolution, when you were able to meet Johnny Depp, you might have regressed back to low resolution caricature of who he wanted you to think he was, rather than the real substance of who he actually is. So this shows that reality has two dimensions. One is the tangible, what we can touch, measure, uh, uh, weigh, and then there's the intangible, things that are not a physical matter. So how do we apply the same principles of resolution utilized to determine the physical reality, the tangible, towards the spiritual reality, the intangible? Truth, be it physical or spiritual, should have infinite resolution, meaning the further down the rabbit hole one looks, the more resolution, the more substance, the more foundation that they're able to determine. But falsehood is low resolution. After just a little bit of scratching at the surface, digging a little beneath the surface, the resolution fades and there's nothing of substance remaining. God gives us this example in the Quran in Surah 14. Verse 24 through 27 says, Do you not see that God cites the example of a good word as a good tree whose roots is firmly fixed and its branches are high in the sky? It produces its crops every season as designed by its Lord. God thus cites the examples for the people that they may take heed. So God is giving the example of the good word and that is of truth, that it has roots that go in deep, that it produces good fruit from its outcome. And this is what you get when you look at truth, that there's substance behind it. There's foundation, there's roots that go in deep. And then the output of it provides more substance that you can build upon. 
and it continues in 1426 and the example of a bad word is that of a bad tree chopped at the soil level. It has no roots to keep it standing. God strengthens those who believe with the proven word in this life and in the hereafter and God sends the transgressors astray. Everything is in accordance with God's will. So God again is saying that the falsehood the bad word is like a tree chopped at the soil level. There are no roots. It produces no fruit. It's just sitting there like a standing log. So how do we apply this towards getting to the real truth for things that are intangible? Let's take an example. Let's say you're trying to solve a crime and you have a prime suspect. The suspect claims they were not at the location of the crime when it occurred. If they are truthful, you can confirm this with witnesses, video footage, social media posts, cell phone data, all kinds of corroborating evidence to confirm that this suspect, this prime suspect, was not at the location of the crime when it occurred. But on the other hand, if they were lying, none of this additional information would corroborate their claim and their narrative would quickly fall apart and would dissolve. So again, we see that truth has multiple layers that all build on top of each other, that are concrete, that if one of these was falsehood, the entire structure would fall apart. But structure doesn't have very many layers. And the second you start probing into those layers, you see that they fall apart. But what's the consequence of believing in falsehood? Like what is the benefit of having a high resolution picture of reality? If I hold a belief, and then faced with contradictory information that challenges my belief. If I want to be successful in life, I will reassess my belief rather than living through falsehood. Because by believing in falsehood and acting upon it, I'm only setting myself up for disaster. Imagine a person has a worldview that cavities aren't real, that these are lies pushed by big toothpaste. Based on this understanding, they stop brushing their teeth and they attest that the way that to keep a mouth healthy and clean is to let the natural bacteria take hold of the mouth and clean it naturally. Then the person continues down this path for some time and some individuals might start commenting that their, their breath smells and they'll say, oh, you're just being a, a bigot, you don't understand, this is how a mouth is supposed to smell. Then after a while, they might start noticing sores in their mouth and justify, okay, this is part of the process. The bacteria is really doing its part. And yeah, you know, I'm going to have sores, but eventually they'll go away. Then the person might start realizing that, hey, you know, they're getting tooth pains and still to ignore the situation, but again, it gets really, really bad. And eventually it gets so bad that they concede, they go to a dentist. Dentist takes a look and says, wow, you got like multiple cavities. You're going to need multiple uh, 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 root canals. If you don't take this, uh, get this fixed, we're going to have to, you know, pull out your teeth. They're going to rot. And the person at this point might concede, might say, okay, I had a wrong assumption. I need to reassess based on this contradictory information that I'm seeing and experiencing for myself. Or they might double down. You know, they might have to lose multiple teeth. Their teeth have to literally fall out of their mouth before they realize that what they're doing is harmful and detrimental to themselves. If they wanted to fix the situation, the surface level solution is to start practicing good hygiene. But that's a very surface level solution. It doesn't resolve the underlying problem of what caused that individual to ascribe to such an ideology and start putting it into practice. That if this person wants to really understand where they went astray, 
they'd have to understand how did they come to believe such nonsense. You know, the quote says, while we are all entitled to our own opinions, we are not all entitled to our own facts. A trait of a successful person is that they had the right model of reality and they acted upon it. Problems in our lives occur when we think the world operates in one way only to find out and be rudely awakened when our assessments are proven wrong. While this applies in all facets of life, the one that we're the most concerned about is how it applies with our religion and our relationship with God. In this regard, it is a blessing from God that He lets us see our contradictions in this life so that we can get guidance back to the right path. In Surah 32 verse 21, it reads, We let them taste the smaller retribution of this world before they incur the greater retribution of the hereafter that they may take a hint and reform. God gives us the example of Abraham. When his people were worshipping statues, it was a blessing that he went and destroyed them, except for the big one, in order for people to see for themselves the contradiction of their belief. It reads in 2162, it says, They said, Did you do this to our gods, O Abraham? He said, It is the big one who did it. Go ask them if they can speak. They were taken aback and said to themselves, Indeed, you are the ones who have been transgressing. Yet they reverted to their old ideas. You know full well that these cannot speak. For that moment, they were experiencing cognitive dissonance. They believed that these statues were gods that could protect them, that could help them. And when they realized that they couldn't even protect or help themselves, rather than admitting their fault and correcting their ways, they doubled down on their ideology, their misunderstandings. Because it's when we see contradictions between our worldview and reality, and the dissonance becomes apparent, that we have an opportunity to correct course. In Surah 13 verse 11, it reads, Shifts of angels take turns staying with each one of you. They are in front of you and behind you. They stay with you and guard you, in accordance with God's commands. Thus, God does not change the condition of any people unless they themselves make the decision to change. If God wills any hardship for any people, no force can stop it, for they have none beside Him as Lord and Master. God does not change the condition of any people unless they themselves make the decision to change. And the only time they're going to make that decision is when they see the dissonance, when they're faced with the contradiction. But it's up to us. Do we take that initiative or do we revert back to our old ways? Consider Noah warning his people for years to refrain from idol worship. But rather than listening to his message and his claims, they disregarded him and persisted in their idol worship which ultimately led to their annihilation. The people of Noah's worldview was flawed, yet because they did not take heed, they suffered the consequences. In Surah 71, verse 5, it reads, He said, My Lord, I have invited my people night and day, but my invitation only increased their aversion. Whenever I invited them to be forgiven by God, they placed their fingers in their ears, covered themselves with their clothes, insisted and turned arrogant. Then I invited to them publicly, then I proclaimed to them loudly, and I spoke to them privately. I said, implore your Lord for forgiveness. He is forgiving. He will then shower you generously with rain and provide you with money and children and orchards and streams. It continues on verse 21. It says, Noah said, my Lord, they disobeyed me and followed those who were even more corrupted when blessed with money and children. They schemed terrible schemes. They, the people of Noah, said, do not abandon your gods. Do not abandon Wad, Suwa, Yaguth, Yaug, 
and thus they misled many, therefore let the wicked plunge deeper into loss. So as believers, how do we discern the truth? How do we find it? How do we go about this process to try to ultimately reach the truth? The way we find this ultimate truth, the ultimate reality is twofold. Firstly, we establish the facts that we can say we know for sure. These are our first principles and set the foundations of our understanding. Then secondly, we build on top of this understanding, constantly checking to see if any understanding we adopt creates a contradiction. If a contradiction is formed, it is essential we reassess our understanding to resolve the contradiction and not make assumptions past that point until the contradiction is resolved. Out of all the logic we have, the most concrete logic that God has given the human being is that of math. When something is proven true in math, it is true under all circumstances that it's absolutely correct. And in math, the foundations of truth are called axioms. These are the foundational statements that are regarded as absolutely true under all circumstances. It is from these axioms that proofs can be constructed. And from these proofs, additional proofs can be formulated. If there is a flaw in any of the logic, then all the ideas that were built on top of this flawed understanding will become void. This is essential to make sure that the foundation we build our understanding from is rock solid. Because if it contains even the slightest bit of unevenness, then any understanding that we developed based on this assumption will only amplify the crookedness of our initial foundation. Meaning that if you have the slightest bit of unevenness in a structure at the foundational level, that as you build up, the crookedness increases proportionally. So what are our axioms of truth that we can base our religion upon? One of the names of God in the Quran is the truth. It reads in Surah 22 verse 62, it says, It is a fact that God is the truth, while the setting up of any idols beside him constitute a falsehood, and that God is most high, the supreme. And it affirms this again in 24.25, says, On that day God will requite them fully for their works, and they will find out that God is the truth. So therefore, God by definition is truth, meaning anything that emanates from God is also truth. And this includes God's words, and we see that God's words are truth. In Surah 2 verse 117, it says, Initiator of the heavens and the earth, to have anything done, he simply says to it, Be, and it is. Meaning anything that God states automatically by his nature becomes true. In Surah 6 verse 73, it reads, He is the one who created the heavens and the earth truthfully. Whenever he says, be, and it is, his word is the absolute truth. All sovereignty belongs to him the day the horn is blown. Knower of all secrets and declarations, he is the most wise, the cognizant. So every word that comes from God is the absolute truth. This corresponds with the Quran because the Quran is God's words to mankind. In Surah 2, verse 146 and 147, it says, Those who receive the scripture recognize the truth herein, as they recognize their own children. Yet some of them conceal the truth knowingly. This is the truth from your Lord. Do not harbor any doubt. And again, we see in Surah 10, verse 94, it says, If you have any doubt regarding what is revealed to you from your Lord, then ask those who read the previous scripture. Indeed, the truth has come to you from your Lord. Do not be with the doubters. These become the axioms of our religion. 
that if God is the truth and his words are true, then the words of God in the Quran are truth. And then this is what we base our foundation of our religion from. In Surah 39 verse 28, it says in Arabic Quran without any ambiguity that they may be righteous. This Arabic word for ambiguity also means any crookedness, any unevenness, that God's words are consistent. They set that foundational piece that we build our entire religion on top of. There are no other writings in this world today that hold as much clout as the words of God in this Quran. In Surah 68 verse 52 it says, It is in fact a message to the world. This is the sole message that the messenger was commanded to deliver to mankind was this Quran. In Surah 21 verse 10 it says, We have sent down to you a scripture containing your message. Do not understand. God tells us that on the day of judgment, the messenger himself, his testimony against his people, was that they abandoned this Quran because this is what he was commanded to deliver. This is our absolute truth by which we determine our religion upon. If we choose to accept any other source other than this Quran for our religious laws, then it shows that we are upholding an idol next to God. In Surah 6 verse 121 it reads, Do not eat from that upon which the name of God has not been mentioned, for it is an abomination. The devils inspired their allies to argue with you. If you obey them, you will be idol worshippers. So God is telling us that if he tells us something directly from God in the Quran, but we choose to follow some other source, no matter how right it may appear, that this act is defying God's absolute authority in setting up a partner next to God and making such people who follow such other words as idol worshippers. That despite God telling us in the Quran that he is the truth, that his words are the absolute truth, that this Quran are the words of God for mankind, there are many individuals who want to uphold additional sources beside the Quran as another source of truth. And this is predominantly in the form of hadith attributed to the Prophet. So if we apply this lesson from what we know, we say, what is our axiom? Our axiom is the Quran. The Quran, what does it have to say about any other hadith besides the Quran? It reads in 7750, it says, which hadith other than this do they uphold? So God is condemning the upholding of any other hadith besides that of the Quran. In Surah 45 verse 6, it says, these are God's revelations that we recite to you truthfully. In which hadith other than God and his revelations do they believe? So the second we uphold any other source other than God's revelations in this Quran, then again we are contradicting the verses of God in this Quran. The Quran tells us that such sources are founded on conjecture and that conjecture is no substitute for the truth. In Surah 10 verse 36 it says, most of them follow nothing but conjecture and conjecture is no substitute for the truth. God is fully aware of everything they do. The second a person upholds some other source as a source of religious law besides the words of God, it shows that they disbelieve in God's words and more specifically, a sign that they don't believe in the hereafter. In Surah 6 verse 112 through 116 it reads, We have permitted the enemies of every prophet, human and jinn devils, to inspire in each other fancy words in order to deceive. Had your Lord willed they would not have done it, you shall disregard them and their fabrications. And it says, this is to let the minds of those who do not believe in the hereafter listen to such fabrications and accept them and thus expose their real convictions. And then it continues, says, shall I seek other than God as a source of law when is revealed to you this book fully detailed? 
Those who receive the scripture recognize that it has been revealed from your Lord truthfully. You shall not harbor any doubt. The word of your Lord is complete in truth and justice. Nothing shall abrogate his words. He is the hearer, the omniscient. If you obey the majority of people on earth, they will divert you from the path of God. They follow only conjecture. They only guess. These verses are informing us that God allowed the creation of Hadith and Sunnah in order to test the human being to see who are those who follow God's words in the Quran alone versus those who follow this fabrications attributed to the Prophet. On one side, you have God's absolute truth, God's words that were dictated to the Prophet himself, that the Prophet himself was obligated to uphold and nothing else other than this. And on the other side, you have conjecture. Yet despite this, some people still choose to uphold Hadith besides the Quran. In Surah 39 verse 23, it says, God has revealed here in the best Hadith a book that is consistent and points out both ways to heaven and hell. Then it continues in verse 30, it says, You, Muhammad, will surely die, just like they will die. On the day of resurrection before your Lord, you people will feud with one another. Who is more evil than one who attributes lies to God while disbelieving in the truth that has come to him? Is hell not a just requital for the disbelievers? As for those who promote the truth and believe therein, they are the righteous. This verse is confirming that this is a problem among the Muslim masses, that they refuse to follow the Quran alone, that they set up additional sources besides the Quran and are thus attributing lies to God knowingly. And it's only those who are following the Quran alone that are the ones who are on the right path. In Surah 39 verse 36 it continues, Is God not sufficient for his servant? They frighten you with the idols they set up beside him. Whomever God sends astray, nothing can guide him. And whomever God guides, nothing can send him astray. Is God not Almighty Avenger? So now that we have established that the axiom of truth for which our religion is based upon is the Quran alone, how do we determine we have the correct understanding? There was a game we used to play when I was a kid called Mastermind. The game consisted of two players, one being a code maker while the other being a code breaker. In each round, the code maker will select a sequence of four colors that they would arrange in a row and keep secret from the other player. Each round, the code breaker will have a set number of guesses to try to determine the right sequence of colors that the code maker has arranged. And after each guess, the code maker will tell the code breaker how many colors in the sequence they had right and how many colors they had in the right order. And based on this information, the individual would make their next guess. Now the obvious strategy to win in this game is to avoid guesses that have already been confirmed that are not the right sequence. Or put another way, to avoid contradictions in order to be able to find the correct sequence. So, if I select a combination of colors in a row and the code maker informs me that I selected none of the same colors as their arrangement, it would be foolish for me to continue using any of those same colors in my future guesses. In this scenario, the established facts become the axioms by which we can build any further guesses on top of in our pursuit for finding the truth. The Quran operates in a similar manner. Since the Quran is complete, it's fully detailed and contains examples of everything. All our answers to our religious questions can be found in this book. 
The simple approach then is to avoid coming up with any logic that is inconsistent and forms contradictions. In Surah 4 verse 82 it reads, Why do they not study the Quran carefully? If it was from other than God, they would have found in it numerous contradictions. The Quran contains 6,346 verses. If we have an understanding derived from the Quran, it should conform to every single verse of the Quran. If a contradiction is formed between our understanding and one of the verses of the Quran, it is mandatory that we reassess our understanding. Maybe it's fundamentally wrong, maybe it needs to be refined. And if we don't do that, then this shows that we're only accepting the Quran partially. In Surah 15 verse 91 it says they accept the Quran only partially. And in Surah 4 verse 44 it reads, Have you noted those who received a portion of the scripture and how they choose to stray and wish that you stray from the path? So if we want to have a consistent approach, any understanding we have has to be unified with all the verses of God in the Quran. That if we come up with some understanding that forms a contradiction, it is our duty to kill our egos and either discard the understanding or refine it in order to eliminate any possible contradictions. So the sound way of studying the Quran is to first establish the axioms and then secondly to eliminate any contradictions that may be formed when we attempt to understand the Quran when they are identified. This methodology is at fundamental odds with those who want to uphold Hadith besides the Quran. Individuals who want to uphold Hadith ground their understanding on the belief that the Quran, the religion, is riddled with contradictions and that this is all part of the course and that the way that they circumvent these contradictions is they created this concept of abrogation to say that some verses of the Quran have been abrogated and are no longer applicable. So if they come up with some understanding that forms a contradiction with the verses of the Quran, they simply say that those verses no longer apply. And when they do this, what they're insinuating is that they believe that God's words in the Quran are not the absolute truth. That God's words are not clear, they're not concise. That it's fine to have understandings that contradict the, the straightforward verses of God in the Quran. In Surah 39 verse 27 it says, We have cited for the people every kind of example in this Quran that they may take heed. An Arabic Quran without any ambiguity that they may be righteous. And it says, God cites the example of a man who deals with disputing partners. This is the equivalent of a hadith. Compared to a man who deals with one consistent source. This is the Quran. Are they the same? Praise be to God. Most of them do not know. The Quran is consistent. It's complete. It's fully detailed. There are no contradictions. And if we want to use this as our source of truth, then we will be guided. But if we choose to put conjecture next to the Quran as a source of truth, then we will be misguided. For those who are well versed in the Quran, a natural verse that most people will probably be reflecting upon that comes up a lot is Surah 3 verse 7. And this verse reads, He sends down to you this scripture containing straightforward verses, which constitute the essence, the core of the scripture, as well as multiple meaning or allegorical verses. Those who harbor doubts in their hearts will pursue the multiple meaning verses to create confusion and to extricate a certain meaning. None knows the true meaning thereof except God and those well founded in knowledge. They say, we believe in this, all of it comes from our Lord, only those who possess intelligence will take heed. Individuals often cite this verse to try to make the claim that God's verses are unclear, that they're ambiguous. And one of the examples is actually in this verse itself, where this statement 
None knows the true meaning thereof except God, and those well-founded in knowledge can be read in one of two ways. The first way is that we say, none knows the true meaning thereof except God and those well-founded in knowledge, period. They say, we believe in this. The other reading is says, none knows the true meaning uh, thereof except God, period. And those well-founded in knowledge, they say, we believe in this. So the question is, which one is true? Now, if we apply the same methodology of saying, okay, let's assume one or the other and see if a contradiction is formed, this allows us to determine the right understanding. So let's assume that only God knows the correct understanding. What would this imply? That the messenger himself did not know the meaning of the verses of the Quran. That God sent a book to mankind that they were incapable of understanding. And that thirdly, that the Quran is ambiguous. And we see that each one of these assumptions forms a contradiction with other verses in the Quran. For one, God tells us in Surah 68 verse 52 that this message is for the world. It says it is in fact a message to the world. So why would God send the message if no one other than God knew the actual meaning of this message? And God tells us in Surah 39 verse 28, it says in Arabic Quran without any ambiguity that they may be righteous. So how do we reconcile this with the proper understanding of Surah 3 verse 7? The verse itself explains it. That the core of the message is straightforward. It's easy to understand. And it's only those with doubts in their hearts that are going to pull the multiple meaning verses in order to try to create a meaning that contradicts the core of the Quran. And that the only people who do that are those who are looking for reason to disbelieve. The majority of the Quran is direct and straightforward, and these become the axioms of our understanding. Yet there are verses that can be twisted in order to create a certain meaning. But the way we detect such manipulations is that if it contradicts the axioms of the message of the Quran, then such interpretations should be discarded. For instance, the opening statement of the Quran is that God is most gracious, most merciful. If someone wants to twist a verse to try to claim that God is not most gracious, not most merciful, such understanding should be discarded. Or that the Quran is very clear that God is one. If someone wants to argue that no, there is a verse of the Quran that justifies God is plural, that there's multiple gods, we know that we can disregard such an understanding. But the only way we can apply this approach is that we have to accept the entire Quran. We have to accept every verse of the Quran. That if we have some understanding that contradicts the verses of the Quran, therefore we have to kill our egos and go with what God says in the Quran in order to eliminate that contradiction. Now it's fine to put things on hold. Say, look, I don't understand. I have to research. I have to dig in more to it. But if we're intentionally holding a viewpoint that we know contradicts the verses of the Quran, then it's only our egos that we're upholding. And this takes us to the last obstacle in pursuit of truth. Let's say we've narrowed down our axioms, that the only source of our religious law will be derived from the verses of God in the Quran, that the straightforward verses of the Quran will be our axioms for our religious understanding, and any understanding that we derive that creates a contradiction with the verses of the Quran, we will need to be abandoned or refined. This all sounds like a winning strategy, but there's one last item that needs to be addressed. In semiconductor manufacturing, the chips are created in clean rooms. This is a room that, pending on the sensitivity of the products being produced, will have different ratings regarding how clean the air quality is in that room. 
Air is constantly being filtered in this room to remove any tiny microscopic particles that might hinder the manufacturability of the equipment being produced. These facilities can cost billions of dollars. They consume mass amounts of energy and water. And they do this in order to eliminate any contaminants that can infiltrate into these rooms in order to protect the sensitive equipment within these rooms. But by far the biggest contaminant in these rooms is always the human workers. That is why before entering these rooms, the humans have to go through numerous steps to reduce their impact on the space. They put on what's called a bunny suit, you know, these like white suits that they put on that zip all the way up. And they put on latex gloves, goggles, hairnets, shoe booties, seal any opening with tape, get blasted with air before entering, and numerous other precautions so that they can enter the facility and reduce their impact on the space. The same goes for the Quran. The Quran is perfect, but it's the human factor that's the contaminant that distorts the words of God and attributes lies to God, sometimes knowingly and sometimes unknowingly. This is why God commands us to seek refuge in God before we read the Quran. In Surah 16, verse 98, it says, When you read the Quran, you shall seek refuge in God from Satan the rejected. And God informs us how to do this. In Surah 23, verse 97 and 98, it reads, Say, My Lord, I seek refuge in you from the whispers of the devils, and I seek refuge in you, my Lord, lest they come near me. This is to protect ourselves from any potential hidden evil that might be hidden from ourselves and that we're oblivious to. In Surah 40, verse 56, it says, Surely those who argue against God's revelations without proof are exposing the arrogance that is inside their chest, and they are not even aware of it. Therefore, seek refuge in God. He is the hear, the seer. On a regular basis, I'll have discussions with people who have some understanding regarding the verses of the Quran or some take on it. And I asked them, I said, okay, does this apply consistently with all the different verses of the Quran? And when you pose something that's contradictory, they just disregard it. They don't acknowledge it. And this is a sign that they have hidden arrogance inside their chest, that they're not even aware of it. And it's out of God's mercy that he gives us situations for us to be able to realize these contradictions, realize our shortcomings, that we can humble ourselves and God willing find the truth. This is why it's critical that we assess ourselves and try to determine, do we see any contradictions between how we're practicing our religion and what God is telling us about our religion in the Quran? That if we see a contradiction, we work diligently to correct it. In Surah 18, verse 103 through 104, it says, Say, shall I tell you who the worst losers are? They are the ones whose works in this life are totally astray, but they think that they are doing good. Can you imagine the disappointment to think you spent your whole life doing what you uh, suppose was righteous works, only to have it all nullified because you weren't applying the lessons from God in the Quran? If we see in ourselves values that do not correspond with the values that God set in the Quran, or catch ourselves acting in ways that contradict the verses of God in the Quran, then it's time to reflect, repent, and reform. In Surah 18 verse 49 it says, The record will be shown and you will see the guilty fearful of its contents. They will say, Woe to us! How come this book leaves nothing small or large without counting it? They will find everything they had done brought forth. Your Lord is never unjust towards anyone. We can lie to ourselves. We can lie to our friends and family. But we cannot lie to God. Because God sees us. He knows our deepest thoughts. He knows our intentions. 
And the only way that we can find salvation is we have to be honest with ourselves. God tells us in Surah 69, verse 18 through 29, it warns us about the consequences if we don't take heed to this. It says, On that day you will be exposed. Nothing of you can be hidden. As for the one who receives his record in his right hand, he will say, Come read my record. I did believe that I was going to be held accountable. He has deserved a happy life. In an exalted paradise, its fruits are within reach. Eat and drink happily and return for your works in a day's past. As for him who is given his record in his left hand, he will say, Oh, I wish I never received my record. I wish I never knew my account. I wish my death was eternal. My money cannot help me. All my power is gone. As believers, we must love the truth and constantly be in pursuit to refine our understanding to get closer and closer to the truth which we seek. God is the truth. God's words are true. And God's words are the Quran that we are required to uphold. God could have made the religion immensely more complicated and the Quran volumes and volumes long. But out of his mercy, he reduced it down to the 6,346 verses. It reads in Surah 18 verse 109, Say, if the ocean were ink for the words of my Lord, the ocean would run out before the words of my Lord run out, even if we double the ink supply. In these roughly 600 pages that constitute the Quran, God provided us all the answers we need in order to obtain salvation. In 3127 it reads, If all the trees on earth were made into pens, and the ocean supplied the ink, augmented by seven more oceans, the words of God would not run out. God is almighty, most wise. God's words are available to the sincere seekers, and readily accessible to those who are devoted exclusively to God alone. In Surah 56, verse 75 through 79, it reads, I swear by the positions of the stars, this is an oath if you only knew that is awesome. This is an honorable Quran in a protected book. None can grasp it except the sincere. Over these sincere individuals committed to God alone, the devil has no power. We read the devil's comment in Surah 15, verse 40. It says that he has no power over the worshippers of God who are devoted absolutely to God alone. And God responds in 1541, it says, He said, This is a law that is inviolable. You have no power over my servants. You only have power over the strayers who follow you. The Quran is a complete book and constitutes the truth that we follow to uphold for our religion. This means that we have infinite resolution. That as deep as we go into the verses of the Quran, we can still extricate new understandings, still learn new things, develop new theorems based on the axioms that God has set forth for us. But the second we identify a contradiction, it is our duty to clear that contradiction. And while we can do this for the verses of God in the Quran, the last contradiction we have to apply this towards is for ourselves, that we eliminate the contradictions when applying the verses of God in the Quran, that it's consistent with our actions is what we read in this scripture. In Surah 18 verse 54 it reads, We have cited in this Quran every kind of example, but the human being is the most argumentative creature. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, you want to get in touch, please join our Discord group. The invite link is below. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, Please download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com website. And if you want more information, you can go to ChronicLabs.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.